good to see all of you, and it's good to be here together worshiping God. As a reminder, we gather here in person, but there's also our, our congregation, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are joining online. So we're thankful that we can be united by Christ's spirit, that we come not only in Christ to be united to God, but united to one another, and we cling to that truth, especially during this time. And so I want to welcome you and remind you that we're here because God has created us and has redeemed us in Christ. So we come to respond uh, to, do, to his goodness. Just a, a note that uh, our abbreviated service, we don't have a time of passing the peace or greeting each other. So I encourage you after the service, if you are able to can go out to the sidewalk and have a chance to catch up with uh, one another. If you are worshiping online, you can take a moment to send a text or, or greet those you're worshiping with. Also, we don't have a time of offering in our service, uh, but if you want to respond to God's grace, uh, you can give online to the church website, or there is a gray basket in the back of the sanctuary. You can drop off your gift there. Uh, we have uh, one announcement uh, that Rob Glofi is going to share an announcement about his mission work that he's doing, an opportunity for us to support him in that. Well, many of you know that I usually do a breakfast to support uh, what I do with Hockey Ministries in the spring, but because of everything, it got postponed till later in September here. Uh, the venue is uh, open and ready and willing to accommodate us, so we are hosting the breakfast on September 26th at 8.30 a.m. Uh, it's a chance just to get breakfast, to, to learn about what I do and what our organization is about. And uh, the Tony, the, the guy who owns the venue, assures me everything will be good for as far as COVID stuff's concerned. And um, he, he actually, he's like, I told him usually about how many people we get. And he's like, oh, yeah, we'll just open up two rooms. It'll be good. We'll be able to spread out. And when he said that, he said that kind of like, you know, two rooms is all we're going to need. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, this guy's telling me two rooms. I want to get three rooms open up. So if you can uh, sign up, uh, we have a website. It's in the order of worship that gets sent out, the, the weekly email. Uh, it's www.h4hchicago.org. Uh, and again, it's in the weekly email. Uh, I'd love for you guys to come if you can. And that's it. Uh, Chad's going to let me start the service off here too. So it, we'll take this uh, time for a moment of silence and pr to prepare your hearts uh, to worship God. Thank you. Even though we're uh, not allowed to sing together yet, let's still stand together since there's a responsive part of this and join together in our call to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. 
Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you are a holy and righteous and just God. And Father, it may be hard for us to admit, but that old and broken down story of rebellion, of pursuing our own path, of turning to things apart from you to give us life, all those old and worn down stories, they are our, our story. So, Father, we ask that by your spirit that you would meet us this evening. Give us eyes to see our brokenness, to see honestly the ways our sin has blinded us, to see our need for your redemptive work in our lives. And, Lord, we know that when you invite us to see our sin, you don't leave us in places of guilt and shame, but you, you move to rescue us through your Son. So, Lord, make us aware of your presence. Meet us as we come. Meet those of us who are drifting and feel weak in our faith. Meet those of us who feel overwhelmed and lonely. And meet those of us in our places of grief and heaviness. Fill us up with your life, feeding us with the bread from heaven. Lord, you are our Messiah, our good and peaceable King, who rules not with a sword, not with paranoid threats, not with empty promises, but perfectly with strength and love. Make us more like you, Jesus, our true King, who even though he holds all the power, he emptied himself, gave himself over to death so that we could be saved, so that we could have peace. Fill us with your spirit to live as Jesus, knowing that Jesus will come again, bringing justice and life, making all things new under his rule. And Father, we pray these things in the name of Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, we turn now to our time of confession, the time to come honestly and openly before God, the time to come bearing the, the weight of our sin, 
to come knowing that God is merciful and gracious and kind and ready to welcome us home. So we'll do this together, and first we'll start with a time of song and reflection. There'll be a, I invite you to, to, to listen, and, and, uh, and then we'll have a time of quiet, personal confession. Please take a moment for silent personal confession. Father, we come to you in sin and weakness. We confess it's hard to be honest about our neediness. We are like Adam and Eve. We want to cover up our guilt and our shame with hiding and deflection. But God, we know that you see us and in your kindness through your son, you lead us uh, out of death and into life. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Uh, to hear the words of assurance. They come from Psalm 86. You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness.
The New Testament lesson is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give, I choose to, give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first, last. This is the word of the Lord.
thankful for a chance to worship together and to look at God's Word. Uh, this fall, uh, we are going to look at a selection of passages from the Old Testament book, Isaiah. And Isaiah might be familiar with some of you, or maybe it's something new, but it's a chance for us to hear the, the prophecies of God. Most place Isaiah's prophecy around 740 B.C., but there are various questions about the historical context and construction of the book. But we do know, and this is important, that Isaiah's ministry comes during a time of deep trouble and sorrow for God's people. Internally, they are marked by discord and corruption. Externally, they live in the shadow of three successive superpowers, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. And in fact, we will see Israel fall to Assyria, Babylon take Jerusalem into exile, and as Persia overtakes Babylon, we wonder how will the Jews return to their home? In all these circumstances, internal and external, we might imagine the people hear all sorts of competing voices about what they should do or how they should think about things. They wrestle with competing loyalties. What path is the one that is right? And in the midst of all this, God uses Isaiah to proclaim that his kingship continues and that his kingdom will be accomplished. That everything else will come or go, that things will pass away, but God's kingdom will endure. And in fact, in many ways, what Isaiah, the prophet, is called to do is, in the midst of trouble, continually proclaim the presence of God, that God endures. Well, as we look at this work of literature and encounter the vision that God gives Isaiah, I think that you and me, that we too, will benefit from hearing God's call. In the midst of difficult circumstances and various claims about who we are, or what is true, what matters, what is faithfulness, what is power, Isaiah's vision continually sets before us the God of Israel. And in fact, in the midst of these circumstances and in the midst of human sin, we can see that the central theme of this book is God himself. For we'll see and we'll hear God say to us, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, turn to me. For I am God and there is no other. In returning in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So these are God's words to us through Isaiah. And this, morning, this evening we will look at the beginning of the book, the opening chapter and opening verses to get our study started. Let's look. It's on your sheet, your order of worship. You can follow there or just listen as I read. This is Isaiah 1, 1 through 8, and then 18 through 20. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give earth, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised 
the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It's desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this word. Even as it presents challenging things, Lord, let us hear from you that we would see not only our sin and brokenness, but that we would encounter you. We ask this by your spirit that you would do in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, there's three parts to the sermon. One, we'll look at the opening introductory verse. And second, we'll look at this poetic description of human rebellion. And third and finally, we'll hear the hopeful call to turn to God and know God's forgiveness. So first, Isaiah opens like many other prophetic books. It introduces the prophet, Isaiah, son of Amos, and puts Isaiah's vision into a geographic and historic context. He received a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem during the time of four kings. Mentioning these kings draws our attention to the context of his day. As I mentioned just a moment ago, all these kings faced the aspirations of neighboring superpowers. And in fact, our passage ends with images of cities burning, cities besieged, foreshadowing a day in which Jerusalem will be by itself like a hut in the midst of a broken vineyard. And we need to try to imagine or put ourselves in the situation that the people feel the uncertainties, that their day and their plans are not fully in their control, that they feel weak and they feel the shadow of other powers upon them. And it's a good place for us to acknowledge that while the circumstances might be different, that we can relate to uncertainty and we can relate to fear. I saw just this week one author write, loneliness and isolation continue. Many have worked at home for months. Many are again juggling jobs while facilitating kids' online schooling sessions. We face daily decisions about what precautions to take and when to take them. Maybe you can relate to that, or maybe you can relate to the loss or the reduction or a frustrating redefinition of your work, what it looks like and what you're supposed to be doing. In the midst of all that, I saw headlines from the, the New York Times that the U.S. accounts, we account for 4% of the world's population, but 22% of confirmed COVID-19 deaths, reaching over 187,000 virus-related deaths. You don't need me to remind you of these realities that in the sorrow and lament 
and this fear and uncertainty and this anger and frustration, there is also the reality that some of us or our neighbors feel unsafe due to the color of skin or ethnic background, that some of us or our brothers and sisters feel that they are unwelcome. It's in this that we can think of Psalm 63, in which the psalmist cries out, My soul is thirsty. My flesh is faint. It's like I'm living in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You see, Isaiah starts by inviting us, in a sense, to feel our soul gasping, our flesh being unsteady, the weariness of ourselves and the land around us. For it's into such a context that God gives Isaiah a call and a vision. A number of years back, I had the opportunity to be, have an internship at a church in Phoenix, Arizona. And one of the things that I enjoyed about that church is that you could literally walk behind the building and walk onto a trail that went through a desert landscape into a series of mountains. It was beautiful to hike or to bike. It was also a little scary that occasionally saw some scorpions or snakes. I told my wife the story before. She told me it's no big deal. They're in Missouri as well. You know, no worries. <laughs> but I enjoyed going out on that trail and making my way through the desert landscape and seeing the mountains and even going up and seeing the mountains that were there. And I share that image, if you can imagine, kind of a, a desert landscape that has this trail leading to a mountain. That's how Isaiah's prophecies begin. The opening verse is like stepping onto the trail. And we can see in the distance mountains, some of which are stunning, and maybe some of the things that you even remember from other passages that speak of God's grace, that speak of God's promises. The, next, the first one we encounter is in chapter 6, where God calls Isaiah in this beautiful and stunning way. But from the place where we step onto the trail until we get to that stunning mountain, there is a trail of weariness. Five chapters, five chapters of poetry that are there for us to feel the weariness of the land, the dry and the thirstiness, with only a hint and glimpse of water. And having looked at this opening verse, taking that first step on the trail, we can go to the second part of the sermon and we can step into these poetic chapters, step out onto the path. You see, our passage comes from the first of the five poetic images that are given to us. And it presents people as being foolish. More foolish, more stubborn than an ox or a donkey. <laughs> nice, right? An image. Here, O heavens, and earth, all creation, God has a charge for his people to hear. In very personal terms, God speaks of Israel as his children, that he's reared up. My children, though, do not know, they do not understand. Even a donkey, even an ox, they know better. They know to whom they are connected, upon whom they can depend. But not so, God's children, they have forgotten. I want us to see that the language here is we're making our way on this, this path that's inviting us to feel the, the dry and weary land. The language here is family language. God as parent to his children Israel. Now others might speak of the gods bringing humans into existence. But Jewish and Christian thought is unique in God's fatherhood. 
as parent lovingly adopting, nurturing, and caring for his people. Therefore, the stubbornness is not merely a breaking of a commandment. It is turning away within a relationship. You hear what's said here? My children do not know. They do not understand. The word know is a relational word. The word know here is a covenantal word. The word scripture uses, it uses the word know to speak of the intimacy of a husband and wife, to know one another, to be united in the covenant of marriage. Know. Here it reminds us of God's covenant with his people. In his grace, God called Abraham. In his grace, he brought forth a child and a family. In his grace, God rescued Israel from bondage. In his grace, through Moses at Mount Sinai, God proclaims to his people, I am your God, and you are my people. In her book, How to Do Nothing, it's a great title, How to Do Nothing, the author Jenny O'Dell discusses the difference between hearing and listening, the difference between connectivity and sensitivity. She writes, to hear, to hear is the physical means that enables perception. But to listen, to listen is to give attention to what is perceived, to give attention. And she continues in contrasting connectivity, this idea of a rapid circulation of information with sensitivity in which we encounter another person. But there's even the possibility of communicating or being changed by it. See, God's charge for all creation to hear, including you and me, is that his children have not listened. They lack sensitivity to him and to his words. Reducing it simply to information or things that might be known, but they do not know. They do not understand God as a covenantal God who has bound himself to them. Therefore, it makes sense after this opening statement that God offers a lament. Think about that, the God of creation offering a lament of sorrow, all sinful nation, all people laden with iniquity. You have forsaken the Lord. You have despised the Holy One of Israel. You can ask, what does this despising, this not listening, not sensing look like? And if we return to the image of the, the trail to the desert landscape, what does it feel like when we go through this weary land? Well, our passage, along with the other poetic chapters, give a description, a stunning description, of what that weariness is like in us and around us. Hear this, your hands you lift in worship are the same hands that do violence against your brothers and sisters. You exchange care for a neighbor for disregard. You acquit the guilty, but deprive the innocent of his or her rights. You hoard, you gather the spoils of the poor in your own home. You bow down to the work of your hands, to what your fingers have made. You never have enough. You join house to house, add field to field, until others are pushed out, no place for them to be. In the face of your troubles, 
You run, you run after strong drink. You are heroes, heroes of drinking wine. You are arrogant, wise in your sinful in your own eyes, shrewd in your own sight. This is the description that we are given of the weary land. And Isaiah gives a summary, sinning nation, guilt-laden people, evil generation, corrupt children. Your whole head is sick, your whole heart faint, all your parts are bruised and raw. And I think it's worth us pointing, seeing out that this description, this impact of not listening, of not being sensitive to God, is not only personal. It certainly is personal but it's also corporate. The language of our passage is that it's not just relational breaking, but that there is a political or institutional breaking as well and how things are handled or done in the society. And as a result, the nation is desolate, stripped, forsaken, the cities are burning, it says. Well, we might ask, <laughs> why start with this difficult word in Isaiah? How does this difficult description of the weariness help us know God as the king or God's kingdom? And I want to suggest to you that we are invited to see God and his kingdom through the contrast. Part of how we know who God is is by what he denounces. In contrast to what this weary land is like, God speaks of his kingdom, and later we'll hear in Isaiah 58, God says, this is what I choose, to loose the bounds of wickedness, to break the chains of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. It is to share your bread with the hungry, to shelter and clothe the poor. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall speed up speedily. Get rid of unfair practices. Quit blaming victims and speaking wickedness. Pour out yourself for those in need and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then your light shall rise in the darkness. And the Lord will guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Do you hear the contrast? Do you hear the contrast between the weary land and God's kingdom, love of neighbor, sharing of gifts and resources, honoring and listening to the afflicted or to the victim? Do you hear the contrast of the impact? Scorched places satisfied, bones made strong, weary lands watered anew. In this moment, in this dry land of uncertainty and fear that the people of Israel felt and that you and I, that we feel as well, I believe, if you're like me, that we wished to be called again. In our loneliness, to, we wish to hear God's voice again. Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The third and final part of the sermon reminds us that the trail, why it is weary and difficult, there are traces of water and they're leading to mountains of promise. 
in this call to come and reason with God, to come and repent, that we might know His forgiveness, we're reminded that the foolishness of the people and the corruption of the leaders, that your foolishness and mine, my sin and yours, that these are not the only forces at work, not the only powers at work. My soul is thirsty, my flesh is faint. It's like I'm living in a dry and weary land where there is no water. But Psalm 63 continues, O God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. Why? Why does the psalmist direct his hopes there? Because he says, Lord, your steadfast love is better than life. We longed for God to speak again to us, to remind us that there are things at work other than our sin and the world around us. The love, the only love that is better than life, the only love sufficient in the face of our sin, the only love, covenantal love, that is steadfast and true. And God demonstrates this love, a love that comes into expression later on as we hear in Isaiah introduced the suffering servant, the one who comes to express God's love, to bear our transgressions and to offer his wounds that we might be healed. You see, God's concern for you and for me rests in his desire for us. God freed his people from bondage in Egypt. And in our passage, even in these hard words, he's seeking to free us from the stubbornness of our own hearts that we would listen, that we would know and rest in the fact that we are not alone, but that God has bound himself to us in Christ and that we are his children. Our sin can be covered, that we can be washed anew, that we can walk in new ways. As we close, I invite us to think about this reality and what it might mean for our own prayers, our own hopes, that we can pray individually or as a church, that even as we see our own sin and the chaos of this world, the Lord's throne in heaven is yet occupied. The Holy One's rule is eternal, and His good purpose on earth will forever be accomplished. So we can pray, Spirit of the risen Christ, Spirit of the suffering servant, inhabit us and encourage us. Lord, help us not to give up. Help us not to be defined by the difficulties of our days, but help us know you and your kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, that even when it points to things that are hard, that elevates and makes clear the weariness that we feel or that we see around us, Lord, we give you thanks that you invite us to see this, that we can turn to you and to your eternal kingdom. Lord, help us to see you in the midst of our struggles. Help us to walk in your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Incline your ear to my cry and save me. You are my rock and my refuge, my stronghold to deliver me. You are my hope, oh Lord God, my confidence from my youth. You have allowed me to suffer. is full of separation, it's full of division, it's full of polarization. It's good for us to come and to affirm together who we are and our connection into Christ. So let's stand together and affirm our faith together. Let us declare our faith in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Afterward, he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received, and this we believe. Amen. Right now to receive God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, May the Lord surround you now and forever with his steadfast love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may go in peace. Mm -hmm.